Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. There are really two questions contained in this plea from the disciples, and these are the questions... These questions are the two points that I want to address today. And if we're honest, these are the same two questions that we have for God when we suffer. First, God, don't you care? And second, God, why won't you do something? And I hope that by the end of the sermon, you see that we have a God who cares about us and one who has done something about our suffering. We have a God who cares about us and one who has done something about our suffering. So first, God, don't you care? I was given freedom by Blake to choose my passage today. And the reason I chose this story from Mark is because it provides an amazing example of who God is in our suffering. And in the past few months at Trinity, I know that there are so very many of you who have been going through suffering. Some of us have lost family members, moms, sisters, nieces, grandparents. Some of you dread being at home, and others have experienced severe strain on your marriages. We have people dealing with extreme loneliness and feel at a loss in their direction in life. And there are still others of you who have been fighting sickness and pain, and they watch their bodies betray them, and they spend anxious hours worrying about what their doctors will tell them next. And I know how easy it is to ask the question, God, don't you care about me? Because here I am in all my weakness and pain and fear, and there you are with all your power and control and peace, and it doesn't really seem like you care about me right now. And I get that question. I suffer from Crohn's disease, and the chronic pain and frustration that comes with it is a constant reminder of the brokenness in this world and the brokenness of my own body. When I was a senior in college, I had a severe flare-up of Crohn's, and it landed me in a handful of small operations, a couple of surgeries, a stay in the hospital, and repeated months of intense pain, and I was bedridden for most of my fall semester. I remember laying on the floor of my dorm room and crying and feeling so empty and angry at my loss and the pain and the seemingly endless nature of it. And I was the one asking, God, don't you care about me? Because it doesn't really feel like you do. I was in the midst of my storm at sea, like many of you are or have been recently or will be soon. And we, like the disciples, turn to our God, our calm and powerful God, and we ask, don't you care that we're hurting? And don't you care that we're angry? And don't you care that we're dying? But what I want you to notice is that in the same question the disciples ask Jesus is the presence of the word, we. See, that word, we, it shows us something. Jesus is there. He's present. And he is sinking on the ship with the disciples in their fear. 
And what shows care for someone more than being present with them in their suffering? And this isn't just a thing we see about God in this story alone. The Old Testament paints a picture of a God who cares about us with his presence. From the beginning in Genesis, God does not abandon his creation from the start, but walks in the presence of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.8, even after the fall. We have a God who is present with his people, the Israelites, as they wandered through the desert by providing them a pillar of flame and cloud. We have a God who shows up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace in Daniel 3. We have a God who dwells among his people in the Ark of the Covenant, and even orders Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 to build him a home in the form of a temple so that he might have a more permanent dwelling among his people. We have a God who cares enough for his people that he shows his presence and enters into covenants with them and then keeps those promises with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. In Isaiah, we encounter God's people facing war from the outside and corruption and oppression from the inside. And in the midst of this suffering, through the prophet Isaiah, Listen to how God portrays himself to his people in chapter 43, 1 through 5. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you, your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I don't know about you, but this does not sound like an uncaring God to me. He says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. This is a God who cares so deeply for his children that he decided to take being a we to the ultimate level and sent his son. He sent himself to be a human, or as John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when we look back into Mark 4 and we see the disciples in their anguish and we see that same God who had repeatedly shown his people his care for them in his presence and he is the calm and powerful God he always had been right there with them in the storm. Our God is one who is personally invested in making our suffering not a me by myself in my pain and not a you by yourself in your grief but a we because he is with us every step of the way, because we have a God who cares. And with that answer, we can move into a look of the question two, which is, God, aren't you going to do something? Because if we think about it, this question is almost always tied with the first one. Don't you care about me? 
because we would say, well, if you cared, then you would do something about it, so then why don't you? This past June, we took our high schoolers to camp in Colorado. And as we were driving back down the mountain, I turned in my seat to the guys in my car and I said, hey, make sure to fasten your seatbelts. And one of them replied, Nathan, don't you trust God? Aren't you so afraid? Don't you think he would save us from an accident if we got in one? <sighs> well, a few hours later, we're driving east across Kansas and the wind is blowing really, really hard from the south to the north. And I had this luggage container on top of the car, and it was acting like a sail. And so I was gripping the steering wheel, and I was sweating, but I was looking over to the right, and I see way out to the south this giant dust tornado, or a dust devil, as you might call them. And I'm looking at it, and I'm gripping the steering wheel, and I'm, you know, I'm watching it, and I point it out to everyone in the car, but as I'm watching it, it's making its way across the field towards us. And I go back to high school math, and I'm like, okay, if car A is traveling 70 miles an hour, and giant dust tornado is 120 miles an hour this way, and before I could even finish that thought, bam, it hits us on the highway, and there's dust everywhere, and it's dark, and there's debris, and the car is shaking, and people are screaming. I mean, it was just me screaming, but <laughs> I woke some people up. But here's the thing, we were okay. It was, as, it was over as soon as it began. And some of the parents were in this room sweating because you had no idea that happened. <laughs> but that's all the fun of youth ministry, is just the giant dust tornadoes. It, it happens to everybody. Um, but even though the student's original question was a joke, I want to entertain it for a moment. Because people tend to have that same idea about God, that if he really cared about us, he would save us from our sufferings as they happen in our lives. But it is so easy to miss that he already has. We get so blinded by our self-imposed need to continually see and prove God's faithfulness in our times of sorrow. Every single time I'm struggling with suffering in my life is a new season of doubt in my heart and questions about whether God really cares and whether he's going to save me from my pain instead of looking back on the ways in which he has already been faithful to his promise to do so. Blake and I on Tuesday were talking about how when we look back into the Mark 4 passage, we can't help but imagine that when the disciples turned to Jesus to do something about the storm, Jesus, in the calm demeanor he has, just smiles. Because that's the whole reason he's there. To do something about the storms, and not just the one they're in at that moment, but suffering and pain and death as a whole. That is how we can make sense of what happens next in the passage. Jesus calms the storm with a few words, and the sea goes still. Which, can you imagine how much whiplash that must have caused for the disciples? Their boat is sinking, and they're in the middle of a storm, and this isn't just any storm. The Greek word used here for windstorm is laelaps, which is the same word used to describe hurricanes. And Jesus calmly walks out onto the sinking boat in the blowing winds and piercing rains, and he says, hey, stop that. And whoosh, still. A sea so completely still with no hint of the storm or the suffering that it caused. And when it's over, the disciples are terrified of this man and his power. 
And here's the thing. The disciples had been with Jesus for a while now, and they had seen him heal the sick, turn water to wine, cast out demons, call himself Lord of the Sabbath, and even forgive sins. But as we see by the end of the passage, they had not yet fully comprehended the true nature of Jesus, but they knew he could do some amazing things. So when Jesus rebukes them in verse 40 and asks, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's saying to them, after everything you have heard me teach and everything you have seen me do, do you still not understand that I'm here to save you from so much more than just the storm? So then Jesus' response to, why won't you do something, is, that's exactly why I'm here. And the good news of the gospel is that he achieved what he set out to do. Hebrews 9.26 tells us that Christ has done away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has done away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He took upon himself the sins of the world so that you and I might be free to follow him with the promise that someday soon he is coming back to make all things new. That is why we do not grieve as those who have no hope, as Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 4 about death. And that is why we do not need to fear in the face of our calamities, as Jesus tells us here in Mark 4. He reminds us of this in John 16:33 when he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One of my favorite examples I've heard of the finality of Jesus' work on the cross is in reference to the last words of other famous religious figures and how they claim that there is still work to be done. Muhammad on his deathbed is attributed to have said, and whoever obeys Allah in the messenger, those will be the ones upon whom Allah has bestowed favor of the prophets. Still work to be done. Siddhartha Gautama, the first Buddha's last words were, strive on, untiringly. Strive on. Keep going. But we see in John 19, Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. Because he won. It's a finality that frees God's creation from the shackles of sin and death and forces suffering into its last days as Jesus stands eternally victorious. Earlier, I spoke about my struggles with Crohn's disease. And here's the thing about Crohn's, there's no cure. All my doctors can do is address the symptoms as they show up and tell me to enjoy the times in which I feel healthy. And that's the difference between how we might want God to act in our suffering and what he has already done. Jesus' work was not to fix each symptom of the disease of sin as it springs up, but to cure creation outright and completely and finally of sin. My mom prays every day that a cure is found for Crohn's. And if one day there is one, I will rejoice and I will praise God for it. But if there isn't one, then I will praise God and rejoice even more because I have a hope that there is coming a day soon where I won't even remember what it was like to feel pain and to suffer, and that is God's promise for you too. 
So when we turn in our suffering and in our fear and our lack of faith and ask God, why won't you do something about this? His answer to us is, I already have. So when we have Jesus' answer to the question the disciples ask and we ask, don't you care about me? God says, I am and always have been a God who cares. And we ask, why won't you do something? God says, I already have. Since we've learned about who God is and how he comforts us in our suffering, I want to begin to finish this sermon by looking at this passage in Mark and seeing how it teaches us to comfort others in their suffering as we mirror how Jesus does it. Notice again the order of events in the passage. The storm starts. The disciples turn to Jesus in their suffering for help. Then Jesus calms the storm. And then Jesus teaches the disciples away from their fear and their lack of faith. Notice, Jesus does not try and rebuke the disciples with truth in the midst of the storm. Why? Because that's not what they need at that moment. So often, when we try and comfort those who are suffering, we use some kind of half-true statement like, God has a reason for your suffering. Or even something untrue like, God won't give you more than you can handle. Those statements can sound so devoid of love, they're uncaring and unhelpful to those who are in the midst of suffering. Jesus does not try and teach the disciples in their suffering. He's present with them as part of the we, and though not afraid, he abides with the disciples who are. You can show so much care for someone suffering just by abiding with them and being with them during it. When we look back to the passage, we see Jesus calm in the storm he calms it, right? And then he turns to the disciples in the midst of the still seas and he reminds them who he is by calling them out of their fear and into faith. For those of you who aren't in the valley of suffering right now, I implore you to enrich your soul with the word of God. Learn the nature of God so that when, and notice I don't say if, but when you suffer, you might turn toward the hope of the redemption of this world that comes from the knowledge that Christ has already achieved victory over sin. And that day is coming soon where there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning and there will be no more crying nor pain and the old things will have passed away. It is God's sure promise that he will make all things new and he will be our God and we will be his people forever and always. Please pray with me. Lord God, in Psalms we read the words of David, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. We thank you that you are a God who cares about us with your presence. We thank you for the work you have already done to free us from our sin and suffering. 
We confess our doubts and our lack of faith in times of sorrow, but are grateful that even in our weakness, your victory stands strong and remains true. I pray for the people of Trinity, Lord, who are in the valley of their suffering, that you will lead us beside still waters and restore our souls. Show us your comfort, God, and let us abide with others in their pain as you have always abided with us in ours. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.